Welcome to Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick. I am your host, Spen, and I am not joined by Nick today. However, I am joined by Nick's father, who happens to also be my father, Kevin Shanman. Kevin, or dad, if you prefer, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Spencer. You can call me Kevin. Feel free to call me Kevin. I'm going to call you dad. So before we get into these Brooklyn Nets that we've been watching for the last week, and I know you've done your homework. Talk to me a little bit about the origin of your Nets fandom up to this point and why Nick and I are so crazy about loving this organization. Well, you know, that's a good question. It starts with my passion, my bas- my love of basketball, which uh, sprang from my dad was a huge uh, Nick fan. And I grew up watching those great Knicks teams in the early 70s. Bill Bradley, Dave DeBusher, Willis Reed, Walt Frazier, a young Phil Jackson, Earl the Pearl Monroe, uh, Cassie Russell, Dick Barnett. Uh, they won a couple of championships. And uh, I was a big fan. I enjoyed watching them very much. Never a great athlete, but I enjoyed playing a little basketball. And then when I relocated to New Jersey as, as, an, as an adult, changed careers, entered the financial uh, industry. One of my first friends in the business, a guy named Bob, who was an original Nets ball boy when they played at the Teaneck Armory, Bob Sapol, he had season tickets for the Nets as well as the Giants. And he looped me in with his tickets. We ended up sharing tickets for many years. And you and your brother, Nick, would go to a lot of games. That was a Jason Kidd era. It's a very exciting team. Uh, Jay Kidd was the only Hall of Famer on the team until they got VC, but they never made the finals with VC. But he had a lot of great young players like uh, like RJ and Kenyon Martin and Kerry Kittles. And, uh, you know, his passing and game management and their speed, they uh, went to the finals twice. They were great. Uh, it was very impressive to me that a team with only one quote-unquote elite player could go so far. Unfortunately, it could never get past the Lakers of Shaq and LeBron or the Spurs of uh, David Robinson and Tim Duncan. But uh, but they had some great teams. And I think you and Nick, uh, who love basketball, played a lot of basketball at, at, at many levels up through high school. I think Jay Kidd, correct me if I'm wrong, was probably your main influence and Nick's as far as your basketball game? As far as my basketball game goes, I, I would say he was probably the number one person that I looked up to uh, to try to replicate some of his passes, the way he dribbled, the way he shot. But in terms of our favorite player, I mean, it, it is no other than Richard Jefferson. And you know that. Uh, he is he is way higher up there than Jason Kidd when it comes to our me and Nick's favorite player. But that's not because of his playing ability. He, he was a great player and played a long time. And, and uh, I'm so glad he got a ring final with the Cavs. But um, that was really more about who he is and what kind of guy he is yeah, than, we've, than his ability. We, we've talked about the, that story on here, how, right. how he came up to me and Nick when all the other players didn't during that media day in 2002 or 2003 and or Jay something. Jay Kidd didn't even show up. Jay Kidd was not there. Um, so based on that story, it seems as though Bob Sapel is the reason that Nick and I are such diehard Nets fans. Well, uh, he had a lot to do with it. Shout out to Bob Sapel. And he loves this cast, by the way. He will be listening. He's the, he's the reason you met Richard Jefferson. That famous picture you have of RJ and your little boy, and RJ was a rookie, that's because of Bob. And also, I met Brandon Jacobs and David Tyree, have signed footballs from those guys, all because of Bob. 
But enough about Bob. Sorry, Bob. Yeah, enough about Bob. This is a Nets podcast, so I wanted to get into it with you uh, about these just trade rumors. The, the the rumor mill's crazy right now. Drummond, we, the Drummond, you know, the Drummond stuff. We have now learned that the Cavaliers will either trade Andre Drummond or buy him out of his $27 million contract as they have decided to make, this is a little bit sentimental for Nets fans, former Brooklyn Net Jared Allen, their center of the future. Drummond is just 27 years old. He's had an up-and-down career, but realistically, he's a solid starting center in this league, and he would fill a huge void for the Nets. Why are they looking to get rid of him? I mean, Allen is probably still pretty young to lead a team. Is he a, as far as you know, a locker room cancer? Is he that kind of personality? No, I don't think that's it. I I just think that Allen is still on his rookie deal. Uh, I think next year is the last year, so they, they got a year to wait. Um, Drummond has a huge contract. Drummond's on a huge contract. And if you look at both of them, I I guess if you're going to get the same out of both guys, you probably want to pay the the lesser, younger player. I think Jared Allen's only 23, 24 years old. You'd want to pay him. And also, he's got better hair than Andre Drummond. I think that's obvious. Well, so do I. Bigger upside (laughs) with Allen, you know, younger and, and a lot less money. So that makes sense. Now, the Nets can't get him in a trade. But they would have a shot if he got his contract bought out. Is that correct? Yeah, that's pretty much the story. A lot of Nets fans are skeptical. They don't think that Sean Marks has the assets to trade for him. I mean, we kind of gave up everything for James Harden. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you're absolutely right. If he is bought out, that he, there's a very strong possibility that the Nets would inquire about him. As far as the trade, they cannot deplete the bench anymore. I mean, as it is, it, it seems like, it, I hate to say this, I don't think they can beat good teams without the big three. I just don't. I mean, they've had some great games. The last game we'll talk about was an amazing game. They're firing all cylinders. But I don't think they can consistently beat a team like the Lakers or the Jazz or some of the other elite NBA teams without the big three in the lineup. And those guys, you know, they, they need to rest. They can get hurt. If they deplete the bench anymore to try to get Drummond, who, who are you going to have on that damn bench? Maybe you and Nick. Yeah, no, I would love to play for the Nets right now, especially with KD and James Harden. Um, but I guess I guess my question to you in regards to Drummond, do you think he would be a valuable addition to this team? All I need to say is that he would be an improvement over DeAndre Jordan. Yep. And 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 that's enough. I mean, you know, preparing for this for this cast, I was looking at Allen's stats compared to uh to Jordan's stats and it, what a, what a fall off. I mean, 11 points per game down to like 6 or 7 points per game. The turnovers um, you know, Jordan doesn't have the hands. He has had some good games. Those good games came about because he's got an elite assist leader in the NBA in uh, James Harden. You know, without a guy like Harden, Jordan doesn't have those those left those great couple of games he's had. Half the time, the ball bounces off his hands and it becomes a turnover. DeAndre Jordan is good if he's going to get twenty minutes a game, but he can't play more than that. He can't play more than half the game. And you see that when, when the Nets have to go small in that second lineup, they don't have a second-string center. I mean, they signed Norvell Pell and Noah Vonley. Both those guys have not played significant minutes throughout their, their 10 years with the Nets thus far. And um, Andre Drummond fits a need. Now, there's a lot of options there. If, if Drummond is traded to a team that is not the Nets, there's a chance that JaVale McGee might be, might be a, a trade piece for Cleveland, who the Nets could realistically acquire for a lot less than Drummond. But... In other news today, we learned that the Pistons and Blake Griffin are going to work on navigating his future elsewhere because Blake Griffin is now 31 years old. He's owed $36 million on his current contract, I believe, and he wants to play for a contender. So while we don't necessarily have a need for a, for a Blake Griffin type, 
because he's not, you know, his strong suit is not defense, and and he's he's gotten less talented at rebounding at this stage in his career. Would we like the addition of of Blake Griffin? You know, he re- reunite with DeAndre Jordan. He has actually worked out with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irvin, I believe, in the summer, or James Harden. He worked out with two or three of those guys. Uh, would we like Blake Griffin at 31 years old and, and a lot of tread on his tires on this team? Blake Griffin is not a center. He's a big power forward. Uh, as you said, he's not a defensive player. Um, you know, he can score in the post, but can he defend in the post? Uh, is, he, is he young enough and physical, physical enough to make a difference as far as rebounds? Do we need another offensive player in there? I, I, I don't know. I, it couldn't hurt. Again, could he, could he, who, who would he replace? Whose minutes would he take away? It's a good question. So I guess if he comes on the team, if you're going to start him, you probably have to bench Joe Harris. Would not be in your starting lineup. So you Joe, go Joe with, Harris right now, maybe the elite three point shooter. Right, and but Joe's came off the bench this year. He's done. He's done fine both ways. He still gets his buckets. It's just a matter of you, you, your lineup would be a little bit bigger, be a little bit less mobile. You'd go with Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan, the four and the five, assuming you're not you didn't get Drummond yet. And that'd be your that'd be your starting five: KD, Kyrie, James Harden, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan. And, and you bring Joey buckets off the bench for some offensive. Exactly. I, I don't know. I, I just I, I don't I don't think Blake gives us more offense. I think we have offense. Yeah. I mean, look, he's a good player. You know, I don't think he'd hurt the team, but I don't think he'd bring much to the table. The only positive I see in acquiring a Blake Griffin and and an Andre Drummond. I mean, obviously, I think we both rather Drummond at this point than Griffin based on what we need. We need a defensive center who can help out on the rebounds and and cover the paint. Um, Right now, they're both not happy in their current situations. Obviously, Blake wants to leave Detroit, and and Drummond is is now an afterthought now that the Cavs have made Jared Allen their center of the future. So it's one of those things, when you move guys to new destinations, they tend to play a little bit more inspired, a little bit more motivated. So if you put Blake Griffin in a Nets uniform where he is second or third in the East— Maybe he plays a lot better than he's been playing this season. Same with Andre Drummond. You saw it with James Harden. James Harden was mentally checked out in Houston. He he gets acquired by Brooklyn. All of a sudden, he starts to lead the league in assists. With, within you know a few games, he's the league leader in assists. So I, I would like to acquire both these guys. I, I think it would be great. I'm not sure what Marks can do in regards to a trade, but if they're both bought out, yeah, bring them over to Brooklyn. Why not? Looking at Blake's stats this year, 12-5-4. And DeAndre is 7-7-2. Seven, seven, More offense, less rebounds. All right, let's move on to a player who is currently on the Nets. That's Kevin Durant. According to Malika Andrews, Durant will miss at least the next two games with a left hamstring strain. I actually thought it said two weeks when I initially read it, and I was so friggin' scared. That, two days? Yeah, it said two days. Two games. Two games, two okay. games. Okay. So we play the Kings tonight. It's Monday night. We play the Suns tomorrow. So when you're listening to this on Tuesday, we play the Suns tonight. He will not be playing in in both those games. He should be back in that third game. So I've had hamstring injuries in my in my heyday. It's not worrisome yet, but he's missed a lot of games this season. And you just hope that this team can get some continuity playing together, the big three. They looked fantastic against the Warriors. We'll get into that uh, last week. And that was the first time they, they played together in over a week. But it just sucks, man, because you know when he comes back, who's to say that Harden or Kyrie won't need a break? Another reason why they shouldn't deplete their bench for Drummond. I mean, they, they need players, right? These guys need breaks. You know, as great as Durant is, I was also a big Knicks fan when they had guys like Ewing and, and, and uh, Charles Oakley. These guys were monsters. I mean, they hit the weight room. They were just monsters. And, and Durant looks like he can break pretty easily. He hasn't, 
other than the one major injury that was that was an Achilles or a yes Achilles. Other than that one major injury, um, he's been relatively durable. But I look at him and I just every time he every time he hits the floor, I think he's not going to get up. Um, Kings are going to be tough. They're on a roll. They won six in a row. Um, I'm sorry, not the, the Suns are going to be tough. Kings not so much. Yeah, I just I just read a, a quote from Luke Walton on the Nets. They can put up 150 on any given night, so we have to be locked in. It's what the coaches do. The coaches kind of give the Nets their props before they play, and then you know these teams come out like the Wizards, like the Hornets, and they beat us. So that, that, that's such a traditional gamesmanship thing in all sports. Before the big game, they just talk about how amazed. Oh, Brady, he's the best. We could never beat him. We're going to try. Yada yada yada. It's all a mind game. <laughs> All right, so you've been watching a lot of Nets basketball this year, mainly because you're a huge supporter of Fireside Nets. The team is 16. It's a basketball team, right? Yeah, it is a basketball team. The team is 16 and 12 before this Kings game. They are third in the East. Talk to me about what you've enjoyed watching from this team. Well, listen, um, they have three elite players. And when they play like they played against the Warriors, it's a show. It's almost like the Holland Globetrotters. I mean, they're just doing anything they want, the passes are crazy. Um, the Globe Drivers were a much bigger deal years ago. I don't know how much you know about them. But basically, they would come to town. Um, they were very good basketball players, but really a lot of acrobatic stuff. They'd have some local rubes that would come out against them, and they'd destroy them. The Washington Generals. Is that okay? I think that's the team they would always play. They'd the always Washington lose Generals. to. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's what the Nets Warriors, as great as Steph Curry is, I mean, they just did anything they wanted. It was it was unbelievable, and they they looked crazy good. You brought up how good they looked. A reason for that is is because it seems as though Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant have really in these last few weeks bought into their roles. So it, it came out in the public recently that Kyrie said to James Harden, "You're the point guard. I'm the shooting guard." That's kind of cool for Kyrie to recognize and and be that transparent about it. You know, he's been a point guard his entire career. For him to go up to James Harden and be like, "Look," You're a little bit better at passing the ball than I am right now. You're the point guard. I'm going to do what I do, which is finish around the rim, make crazy acrobatic layups, get any shot I want. And don't get it twisted. Kyrie Irving can pass the ball. He's just not passing the ball at a rate that James Harden is passing the ball right now. Well, listen, we, we, we talked about that. Harden is better at creating and Kyrie is better off the ball in terms of offense. When Harden opened those first couple of games with the Nets right after the trade and Kyrie was... First, he was sitting out for unknown, strange Kyrie. You know, maybe he was trying to prove the world was flat. And then he uh, there was some COVID exposure or, or something along those lines. And Harden came in. And, you know, you've described me on this cast as a casual basketball fan. Yes. Which, at this point in my life, is probably true. Uh, when, when you and Nikki were in the house, I did. A, we watched a lot of sports together. We went to a lot of games together. But now that you're gone, um, I'm working a lot. And it's me and Mom. And she can... She could care less about No that. excuses. You can watch the Nets games. So, and I have been, but that, that means, my point is I haven't seen a lot of James Harden. Okay. Uh, I know he's a scoring leader. You haven't seen a lot of James Harden when he was in Houston. Correct. Okay. I actually saw more of him when he was on the Thunder. Right. Years Which years was ago. 2011. So we're well, really going was, back that was, that was also a fun team. He had Westbrook, Durant, and Harden. Yes. Um, amazing. They didn't go farther, but I guess they ran into the Miami Heat buzz saw back in the day. Uh, but Harden played those couple of games. And I remember the first thing I said to you and Nick, oh, my God, I didn't know this guy could pass like that. I just didn't know. And then I'm thinking, well, Kyrie's going to come back, and what's going to happen? And Kyrie came back, and they made Kyrie the point, and what happened? Not great things. I mean, up until the Warriors game, I don't think he replicated that that performance. He had some good games. He had some not good games. 
But um, I realized at that moment, for this to work, Kyrie had to let him be the point. And then there were a couple of games when they shared it, which weren't bad. They won some of those and lost some of those. One other thing, and, and I'm showing my age, I mentioned that my earliest recollection of NBA basketball was the Knicks. When the Knicks, back in the late 60s, early 70s, and I was very young, I wasn't even 10 years old, and, but I, I remember somewhat, there was a guy named Earl the Pearl Monroe. He was on the Baltimore Bullets. He was great. When the Bullets played the Knicks, he was the guy that was going to beat them if they were going to lose. After the Knicks won their championship, I think in 70, before they won in 72, they traded for Earl Monroe. And I remember thinking, well, how are you going to have Earl Monroe and Walt Frazier on the same team? They, they do the same thing. Monroe went from being the point guard to the shooting guard. He fit into the team. He was no longer the marquee player. It was about Frazier and those other guys. And again, I, I probably didn't read the paper when I was 10, but I don't remember, well, you know, Monroe needs the ball. How's that going to work? All the talk about Kyrie and Harden, how are they going to play together? There's not, there aren't enough balls to go around. Back then, you know, you know, Monroe wanted to win. He went to a team with a lot of great pieces. He became another great piece. And uh, ironically enough, it looks like Kyrie is willing to do that now. Kyrie is an elite, elite point guard in the NBA. I'm not taking anything away from his ability. But we know Kyrie is a bit of a character, and I'm being generous. You know, so he said that, and that's great. When I was in the mortgage business in the late 2000s, it was booming. Everybody was making money. Everybody got along. Everybody loved everybody. When the business crashed and things got crappy, we were in each other's throats, right? Everyone's happy when you're winning. So if the Nets start losing, is Kyrie going to go back and say, whoa, 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 I didn't mean that. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's great that he said that, but it's almost a little scary. Great players, and you talked about Earl Monroe and Walt Frazier, great players make sacrifices. Great players are unselfish. James Harden is not shooting at the same clip he was in Houston. He's just not. He's not scoring at the same clip. Kyrie is a great player, and, and I think, you know, earlier in his career, I don't think that Kyrie would have done this, especially with LeBron. I mean, he literally left the Cavaliers because he wanted to be that alpha male on the team. But at this stage in his career, I really think Kyrie is at the point where he's not going to try to vie or compete with James Harden for who the, who's the point guard, who's the shooting guard. If you've watched the games, they, they play within the flow of their game. So if, if the game calls for Harden to work the pick and roll with DeAndre, with Joe Harris, and, and, and distribute, that's what he's going to do. When the game calls for Kyrie to go into ISO Kyrie mode and take whoever he wants off the dribble, he's been doing that. They did it against the Clippers. They did it against the Warriors. They looked amazing. Now, that hasn't been the case at times. We're going to talk about these games this week. The Pistons' loss was bad. But the point of what I'm trying to say is when you're a great player in the NBA and you want to win a championship, you have to adjust slightly, whatever the case may be. If the ball is not in Kyrie's hands as much as it it has been, so be it. All right, I want to get into these three games this this last week. Uh, I want to start with the Brooklyn Nets win against the Golden State Warriors on Saturday night, 134 to 117. This was a dominating win. They were never really in the game. Kyrie led the Nets with 23 points. James Harden had 19 points and 16 assists. Durant had 20 in his return. And Bruce Brown had 18 points in the starting lineup. Joe Harris had 15 and Jeff Green had 14. Offensively, what did you see against Golden State that you thought worked extremely well for the Nets? What didn't work? I mean, it was the most balanced attack they've had in a win this year. I would venture to guess that, and and I I did check a lot of games in prep for this. I didn't check this particular stat. I would venture to guess that there wasn't one other victory this season 
where the leading scorer on the team scored as little as 23, right? I'd have to look, but yeah, you might be right Nobody there. Nobody broke 30. Nobody broke 25. Kyrie, 23. As you said, Durant, 20. Um, Harden, 19. Brown, 18. It was a perfectly balanced attack. Plus, they played defense. They played crazy good defense. Um, and I'm going to tell you this, and this I did research. The Golden State Warriors turnovers, both the Nets and the Warriors had 13 turnovers. That's the only game out of the last six where the Nets had the same as or less turnovers than their opponent. In every other game against the Pistons, Nets had 15 turnovers, Pistons had 13. Nets had 12 turnovers, Pacers had 8. Nets 17 turnovers, Philly 13. Raptors, the Nets had 18 turnovers. The Raptors had 10 against the Clippers, which they won. The Nets had 18 turnovers. The Clippers only had 8. So what did they do? They played defense, and they didn't turn the ball over more than the other team. And that's huge. That, that, the, the bane of their existence is defensive turnovers, and that's what they control. Defensively, they held the Warriors to 26.5% from three-point range. The Warriors shot 9 of 34 from three-point land from the field. That is really bad when Golden State has arguably the greatest three-point shooter of all time in Steph Curry. He had 27 points, but he was held in check for much of the night. Uh, I agree with everything you said, and, and let's just single out James Harden. Some of the passes that he made that night against the Warriors, Kevin, Dad, whatever I'm calling you tonight, they were... One might say Jason Kidd-like. Jason Kidd-esque. They were amazing. There was one where, where he looked like he was going up the middle and he was going to make a move, and he caught, was it was it Brown or who was under the basket? He he just a laser to somebody right under the basket. It was beautiful. Well, if Brown had 18 points, I want to say at least 10 or 12 were assisted by yes, James Harden. Absolutely. He had the full-court alley-oop layup to Kevin Durant that you sent me in it a text. It was a one-touch. It was a one-touch, right? Durant, I, boop, boop. I mean, there's got to be two or three people in the NBA that can make that pass, and LeBron James is one of them. Right. Um, and he just had his, his behind-the-back pass is so smooth. The way he navigates the game. Uh, listen, you weren't crazy about James Harden before he came to the Nets, and rightfully so. But his game has just been so special yeah. since he's joined this team. And the one thing I'm surprised at is how much he trusts his guys. Like, he trusts Bruce Brown, Joe Harris, Landry Shamit, TLC, all these guys to make these shots. And TLC keeps missing. TLC. So does Shamit. I mean, I don't know what these guys are shooting percentage-wise, but it ain't good. <laughs> I mean, that's the one thing you could say about KD, James, Kyrie a little bit, not as much as the other two guys, but they really trust the, the role players on this team to knock down shots. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's true. It's true. Uh, Shamit was two for seven against the Warriors. Cabaret was uh, was three for four. Not not terrible. Timothy Luau Cabaret. Cabaret. TLC. Cabaret. Um, Cabaret. Life is a cabaret. Great all-around game against the Warriors. That was, that was a great way to end the week. They did not start the week hot, the Nets. Last Tuesday, I believe, they played the Detroit Pistons, who at the time had five wins, and they lost 122-111. to um, Everything they did well against Golden State, they did horribly against the Pistons. They were abysmal on defense. Jeremy Grant scored 32. I think that might have been a career high for him. DeLon Wright had 22. The Pistons got whatever they wanted in the paint and shot 56% from the field. So, Dad, Kyrie and James Harden did play in this game. How does a Kyrie and James Harden-led Nets team get demolished like that? Well, eight, eight out of the 11 Pistons players that played that night shot over 50%. Um, who was it? Sadiq. Was it? Yes, yeah, Sadiq. 
Sadiq Bay. Sadiq went six for six. Got 100% and he yep. a shot. 15 points, six for six from the field, three from three from three-point land. And do you know who he was drafted by, Dad? The Nets. The Brooklyn Nets traded his uh, rights on draft night to, well, I guess the Pistons ended up with him, but they acquired Landry Shamit. So Sadiq Bay showed the Nets, here's what you motherfuckers missed out for not drafting me. Because he was phenomenal. And you know what he did this week, Dad? I actually wanted to mention this earlier in the podcast. He won Eastern Conference Player of the Week, Sadiq wow. Bey did. He was phenomenal. Without looking at his numbers, I think he averaged 20-something a game. And he's just been fantastic for Detroit, especially this week. So, you know, sometimes you reap what you sow in the NBA. It would have been nice to have a Sadiq Bey on our on our squad right now over a Landry Shamit. But it is what it is. You can't, you can't hit a home run every single time and... Right now, that trade is not looking too hot for the Brooklyn Nets. I'll tell you this. DeAndre Jordan was bad in that game. He heard it from Steve Nash. He heard it from James Harden. He did not play well. Um, There were a lot of defensive miscues with him where he just either didn't give the effort or he got scored on by someone much smaller than him. The rebounds weren't there. The points weren't there. DeAndre Jordan was flat out horrible against Detroit. And you know what? He acknowledged that after the game. He said something along the lines of, "I got to, you know, we got to give more effort. We got to play better on defense." And a lot of that was his fault. He did not play well that night. So some of that loss goes on him. But this yeah. was also the Kyrie sprained finger game. Yes, correct. Because they they kept showing shots of Kyrie's face on the sidelines. He looked like uh, you know somebody was ripping his his uh, kidney out through his earlobe. I mean, he just looked like he was in pain. But he still led, he led the team. 27 points for Kyrie, 24 for Harden, uh, 10 for Shamit, 10 for Green. Uh, Harris, I guess he had a terrible game. Uh, five points, six points for Harris in that game. Listen, if, if Durant's not playing, you need more than six out of Harris. I'll tell you this, though. It was nice for James Harden and Steve Nash to say something to DeAndre Jordan because Nets fans have been wondering, why the hell doesn't anyone say anything to this guy? Night in and night out, the effort is not there. You can see it. There are just plays where he flat out won't jump when someone goes up. Earlier before, and he's, he, he seems to be trying a little harder, but it does. It, there were games this year, especially when he got more minutes now that Allen's gone, where he almost looked injured. Like, he almost looked like he couldn't move. Right, right, and, and which is why I say you need another center because he's not playing more than half the game. Uh, let's let's talk about uh, the bounce back win. The very next night, we had a back to back against the Indiana Pacers. We beat the Pacers one hundred four to ninety four. Um, they dominated Indiana in this one. At one point, the Nets were up, I think, thirty four thirty five points. Uh, the Pacers only scored eighteen points and twelve points in the first two quarters of the game, respectively. That's terrible. The Nets held the Pacers to thirty nine percent from the field, and no player on the Pacers scored more than twenty points. Um, a big thing in this game, Dad, it was the DeAndre Jordan redemption game. 12 points and 13 rebounds, a few blocks, and a few dunks that reminded you of his Clippers days. But most importantly, the effort was there from DeAndre Jordan against the Pacers last Wednesday night. Uh, those are huge stats for Jordan, 12 and 13, and that's, that's crazy for him. In the second quarter, the Pacers scored 12, the Nets scored 35. Right. That, that was the game. That, was the, that game. was the game. You don't come back from that. Um, and the defense, I guess, was there. Well, look, when you get embarrassed like that against the Pistons the night before, you're a championship aspiring team. You better show up on that that next game in a back-to-back. Um, the effort was there from everybody, especially Kyrie. Kyrie Irving was phenomenal. He had 35 points. He was 17 of 17 from the line. I think that's the most free throws he's ever hit in a game. 
Harden had 19 and 11. He actually uh, 11 boards. Harden did not play that great against the Pacers. And I was I was getting a little bit worried about him before that Warriors game. And Joe Harris chipped in 17 points as well. Um, Indiana just looked like they didn't want to be there at times. They, they couldn't buy a basket in the first two quarters. In the third quarter, they came alive a little bit. I think they cut the lead to 10 at one point. But... This was a big win by the Nets, especially without Kevin Durant. You knew you had one more game without KD leading up to that Warriors game, and you managed to go two out of three uh, this week. It was a, it was they needed the win and they got it. Uh, interestingly enough, something I'm, I'm again looking at the game stats: the Pacers shot sixty three percent from the free throw line. That's terrible. That's really bad. That's really bad, and that adds up, man. It makes a big difference. Watching the game, I mean, it, it seemed like I. The Nets would pull away and the Pacers would come back. But the final score, 104-94, I don't even think it was that close. Um, by the way, you asked earlier if there was a game where the leading scorer of the Nets scored less than 23 points. That they won. They beat the Heat 98-85 to a few weeks ago, and Kevin Durant was the leading scorer with 20. And James okay. Harden also had 20. There you go. So okay. two guys both had so 20. They did. So they did. That's interesting. Watching this Pacers game with you, I remember you got frustrated because the Nets emptied the bench with about two minutes left. And the Pacers did cut into the lead at that point. No, see. And you were saying, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? A few weeks ago, they played the Knicks, and they were up like like 15 or 20. And I think the Knicks cut it to four or five with like 30 seconds left. And it was because Nash had, had let the bench in too early. Right. So I, I didn't think it was going to happen again. But when he throws the bench in there with like, like three or four minutes left, even though they're up a certain amount, I get a little bit nervous. I mean, have Kyrie James or Kevin Durant – on the floor at all times. One of those guys. One of those guys. One of those guys. Listen, he's a player's coach, and he wants to give these guys minutes. I get it. All right, before we get to our rapid fire to close out the podcast, I just wanted to quickly see if there was any news on Nets Twitter happening right now. Um, Let's take a look. I don't think so. Just some updated status reports for the game against Sacramento. We got to keep a close eye uh, on these, you know, players that are – possibly going to be moved before the March 25th trade deadline. Obviously, Marks has to make some type of move to bolster this front court. We have not seen Noah Vonley or Norvell Pell get significant minutes. Do you think, I mean, why is that? Do you think they just, they've already decided they, they aren't the guys to do that? I, I, I personally think that they were placeholders. They were two guys that Marks wanted to experiment with. Um, but in limited action, they've both looked... Like, there's a reason that they both weren't on a team before the Nets signed them. So the experiment already failed. Marks hasn't given us a reason to think that Norvell Pell or Noah Vonley are going to be instrumental uh, down the stretch, especially because he said we're not done yet. These are two guys that can be cut any any day. They can be cut tomorrow. Uh, so for now, they're on the roster, but I, I haven't seen them play with a second unit. I mean, Reggie Perry got a lot more time when he was active on the roster than both of them have since they've arrived. So we'll wait and see. This is from Christian Winfield. Steve Nash doesn't think Kevin Durant's hamstring injury is a long-term thing. So that is, that is good to know. I mean, you know, hopefully Steve Nash is uh, is right there. All right, Dad, we're going to end the podcast with a rapid fire. I'm going to ask you a ton of quick questions. I want the audience to get to know you. First answer that comes to mind, you give me it. Are you ready? Can I answer the qu- before you even ask the question? No. Okay. Favorite type of beer? Brown ale. College and fraternity you pledged? Uh, Oneonta State, Iota Tau Kappa. Favorite professional athlete in your lifetime? Willie Mays. Favorite coach in your lifetime? 
<sighs> if the answer is anybody but Lawrence Frank, I'm going to be annoyed with you. It's got to be Larry Frank. Okay, Larry Frank. Jewish guy from TNET coaching the Nets. What's not to like? How'd they do with Larry Frank? Not, not, I mean, they weren't <laughs> bad. They won a few conference titles. Well, I like Van Gundy when he coached the Nets. Um, the Knicks. The Knicks. The Knicks. Van Gundy when he coached the Knicks. Uh, who do I love as a coach? Um, well, let's see. I mean, I mean, uh, I like Riley, but he ended up the, he couldn't bring him to the, to the Holy Land. That's a tough one. You know, coaches coaches are dependent on their team. You can have a great coach with a bad team and a bad coach with a great team. That's a tough one, boy. I don't know. How did you meet your wife, Randy? Blind date. What would you say your son Spencer's prime year of athletics were, and what sport did he excel at in that year? Twelve years old basketball. Damn, that's that's <laughs> young. No, when you were a senior playing uh, playing for a terrible soccer. High school soccer team and, and getting shutouts. That shout, was impressive. Shout out Jake Wagmeister and Dan Fitovic. Those were two of my two of my best teammates. Uh, favorite chocolate milk to drink is chocolate. Slate. Who wins a championship first? The Mets, the Jets, the Giants, or the Knicks? Wow. Well, it's not going to be the Jets, and it's not going to be the Knicks. But the Knicks look good. I'm going to. Oh boy, could Jones do it? I don't know. The Mets. Wow. Favorite net of all time? It's either going to be Drazen or Kenny Anderson. I guess Drazen. Shout out Kenny Anderson, former guest on the podcast. And finally, what is your favorite Nets moment of all time? Jason Kidd's bowling pass comes to mind, where he literally bowled the ball into the front court instead of chucking a fast break, and somebody picked it up. Ken- Kenya Martin. It was Kenya Martin. K- Kmart picked it up and dunked it. I mean, he actually put a curve on it. It was, it was crazy. Someone pulled off that pass earlier this year. Okay. I, I can't remember who it was, but basically with two hands, they spun it full court. It bounced a few times and someone picked it up and dunked it. It might have been Jokic. It might have been Doncic. One of those one of those guys what from Europe. Itch, one of the itch guys? One of the European guys might have might have pulled it off. I can't remember, but I, I that was that was an incredible pass. If you go and watch Jason Kidd highlights, some of the passes that he had to Vince Carter. Like, he would just throw him in a place, and Vince Carter would contort his body, pick the ball out of the air, and just slam it. Um, the Nets weren't as good with Carter, but they were maybe more exciting to watch with Carter. VC had amazing, similar to MJ, he had amazing body control in the air. And, and a lot of people just can't do that. No, no, they can't. Uh, and finally, bonus question. If I am looking to work with a mortgage broker in the state of New Jersey, where should I look? Cornerstone Capital Financial Services. Why is that? What makes them better than the rest? Uh, personal service, great rates, knowledge, and know-how. When somebody calls us and explains how they couldn't get a loan elsewhere, I like to say, at the risk of sounding arrogant, my natural assumption is that 90 to 95% of every other mortgage broker, loan officer, banker out there has no idea what they're doing. And unfortunately, I've been proven right more times than not. If you haven't figured it out yet, Kevin is the CEO and founder of Cornerstone Capital. He is the best damn mortgage broker in the state of New Jersey. And I'm not just saying that because he's my father. We do not do free ads on this podcast. I'm going to show you for that. You owe me nothing. But if you get a mortgage in the state of New Jersey and it's not with Kevin Shaman, you're making a big mistake. All right. That does it this week on Fireside Nets with Spen and Nick. It was Fireside Nets with Spen and Kev. I had a great time, Dad. What did you think of the show? It was a great show. I hope I uh, held up my end of the bargain. And uh, Nick threatened me. He said, don't F up my podcast. And I hope I didn't. Funny he called it his podcast. Well, we'll have to uh, get into that offline. All right. Do you want to do the, the, the thing at the end with me? Sure, I'll try. All right.
And as always, catch you on the fireside! Bonus alert! Hey guys, I did not want to end the podcast tonight without giving you guys my post-game reaction to that epic Brooklyn Nets 136-125 victory over the Sacramento Kings. I mean, what can you say about this team? When they needed to play defense in the third quarter, they went on a 20 to nothing run. Up until that point, Sacramento had hung with them for the most part, but that 20-0 run blew it wide open. Kyrie Irvin could not miss tonight. 40 points, 15 of 22 from the field, 9 of 11 from three-point land. He was fantastic in this one. James Harden had a 29-point, 14-assist, 13-rebound triple-double tonight. Those two really picked up the slack with Kevin Durant not there. And DeAndre Jordan was a plus 22 tonight. 10 points and 8 rebounds for him. The effort, like we saw against Golden State on Saturday, the effort was there. A lot of tip-out rebounds to Nets teammates. And then just the rest of the team was fantastic. Landry Shamit had 13 points. I believe all of them came in that first half. He was 5 of 10 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3-point range. TLC chipped in 8. Tyler Johnson had 10. Uh, Joe Harris had 10. Jeff Green had 13. But tonight was all about... Kyrie Irving, it was about James Harden, and it was about this Nets team when they want to defend, even with a team like the Kings, where they have Bagley and they have Hassan Whiteside, who dominated tonight. Whiteside had 26 points and 16 rebounds. Bagley had 19 points and 7 rebounds. They can still make teams uncomfortable on defense and string together enough stops to go on runs like they did in the third quarter when they went on a 20 to nothing run and blew the game wide open. This Nets team shot 57% from the field, 57% from three-point land. They were 27 of 47 from three-point range. 27 made three-pointers was a franchise record tonight. They were three away from tying the all-time NBA record, which is 33 pointers in a game. You just love what everybody was able to do tonight. All these guys have embraced their roles so well. From Jeff Green, who in his mid-30s, is still dunking and taking the soul out of other human beings. I mean, Marvin Bagley III is a diss rapper. He puts out diss tracks. He tried to diss Damian Lillard a few years ago. He can't do that anymore. He got dunked on so hard by Jeff Green. He was another victim in Jeff Green's posterization spree that he has been on in his 13th season. I am just so impressed with this Nets team right now after that win. You knew you didn't have Kevin Durant going into tonight. You know you have a back-to-back with a tough Phoenix team tomorrow. You came in. You did not play great defense in that first half. Steve Nash at halftime told the team they had to guard somebody. And what did they do in that third quarter? They limited the Kings to 20 points and ended up blowing the game wide open. So kudos to the Nets. We have a very tough matchup in the Phoenix Suns tonight. I actually, Spencer Shaman, will be calling the game for the ColorCast app. So you can check me out on ColorCast when the game starts at 10.30 p.m. I will be doing the play-by-play on that application. Again, that's ColorCast. Big thank you to my dad, Kevin Shaman, for joining the podcast today. Huge win for the Nets tonight, and thanks for listening. All right, I'll catch you guys on the fireside.